Oh, as we think about this wonderful covenant promise, as we celebrate Orphan Sunday this morning, we want to, we want to reflect on the richness of God's Word. Because I believe that John, even, in this passage that's before us in 1 John 4, is reflecting on adoption. And you'll see that, I think, here in just a minute as we give a few minutes to the Word of the Lord. Look at 1 John 4 with me. You'll find it in your bulletin. You can open up in the pew Bibles which are before you or your copy of God's Word that you brought with you. We're going to look at six verses this morning in the ongoing series of 1 John, a series that we've titled, That You May Know, because that's John's purpose in writing this letter of 1 John, that we might know that we know the Lord Jesus Christ. An important reality that is. Let's look together, 1 John 4, verse 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. But we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we spend now a few minutes in your word together, we would ask for your spirit, who alone is the illuminator of your word, would open up our hearts to it, that we would receive the truth of your promises, we would receive the reality of your instruction, that we would be so conditioned through the power of that word and spirit that we would indeed obey all that you would have before us. We come before you in that way today. And we ask that you would accomplish it for our good, your people, and for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about that amazing reality of adoption, you know, the beautiful truths of our salvation, we might want to ask the question, how do we know that we're a child of God? How do we know that we are a child of God? There's many different answers, actually, to that, many different biblical answers to that question. We've already looked at a number of them in looking at 1 John, but I want you to see what John is actually indicating to us this morning because it's critically important. How do you know that you're a child of God? Well, Paul, in Romans chapter 8, says that we've been given a spirit of adoption. And he says this spirit of adoption bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. That's what he says the spirit of adoption does, which is the spirit of God. It bears witness with our spirit 
that we are indeed children of God. Now, that language of bears witness in Romans chapter 8 is the language of legal testimony. It's what you do when you're called to give testimony in a courtroom and you raise your right hand and you say, I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. It's legal testimony. You know that you're entering into the speaking of words that have tremendous weight. Same language here in Romans chapter 8 when it says the spirit of adoption that's within us bears witness, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What that means is that the spirit of God brings to our heart the truth about who God is and what he's done. And when the truth about who God is and what he's done comes alive to our heart, we know that we are children of God. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 8. And we know that the Spirit does that because throughout the teaching on the Spirit in the Scriptures, we know that He is the Spirit of truth. That's the language that John actually recounts Jesus speaking in John chapter 14, verse 6. I will ask the Father, and He will give you a helper, even the Spirit of truth, He says in John 14. What does the Spirit of truth do, Jesus? John 14, 26. He will teach you all things. And he will bring to your remembrance all the things that I've taught you. He's going to bring the truth. That's what he's going to do. And so it's no surprising that Jesus, in John chapter 4, when he's speaking to the woman of the well, as she's engaging him in theological dialogue about worship, he says to her, listen, the Father is seeking true worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. The combination of spirit and truth, you see all the way throughout the role and the work of the spirit. And I think it's on John's mind, and I'll tell you why. Look at the end of 1 John 3. The end of 1 John 3. We looked at this passage last week together, for those of you who are with us. But we actually didn't touch on this verse. The last part of verse 24 says this. By this we know that he abides in us. Who's the he? Jesus How is it that we know that Jesus abides in us? What does he say? By the Spirit whom he has given to us. How do you know that Jesus is with you? He's with you by the Spirit. Jesus says, it's my Spirit. That's why he can say, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age, at the end of the book of Matthew. And I hadn't seen Jesus walking around in the flesh. I don't know about you. That's because he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But he's with you because he's with you by his Spirit. And that spirit is constantly bringing the truth of God to your soul. And as it brings the truth of God to your soul, your soul communes with the spirit in that truth. And you know that you're a child of God. Confidence comes in the dynamic work of the spirit in the truth. And I believe that's on John's mind as we look at 1 John 4 together. Because I think what he's trying to say is for you to be able to test the spirits. You've got to have discernment between the Spirit of God, how it's working in your own heart, with the truth, to be able to spot a counterfeit when it comes your way. You need need that dynamic at play in your heart and your life to be able to test the spirits. Because he says here, many false prophets have already come out into the world. We knew that was going to be the case, he says. 
Many false prophets are already out there. And here's the problem with false prophets. They don't tell you they're false prophets. That's the problem. In fact, they tell you, I'm from God. I have the spirit of God. I'm teaching the truth of God. But in actuality, they're not. So who do you know? How do you know who to trust? You've got to test the spirits. How are you going to test the spirit? You've got to have truth and illumination by the spirit with the spirit of God. And you've got to measure it up against the one who's speaking. And then you'll be able to see a fraud when he's there. That's really important because we don't think about it this way, but we need to think about it this way. When you're hearing a preaching, when you're hearing a teaching of God, when you're reading a book from someone who is claiming to speak about God, when you're listening to a podcast or a broadcast, when you're listening to a TV preacher, any kind of media you're engaging in, you're taking in that message. That message is prophetic. It's meaning to say something about God. doesn't necessarily mean, as John is using it here, that he's talking about things to come. Prophecy means foretelling things to come, but it also means forthtelling or speaking the truth. That's how he's using it here. There are those who came and said they were speaking the truth to you, church in Asia Minor when in fact they were not and many of you believed it and some of you even left the fellowship because you were destroyed by the teaching. Anytime you're listening to someone who says they're speaking on behalf of God, you're not listening to information only. You're not listening to their perspective. You're not listening to their opinion. You know what John is saying here? You're listening to the spirit that's behind that teaching And the source of that teaching is either coming from God or it's coming from the evil one. And that changes the way you listen. That changes the way you listen. When he's telling us here, test the spirits, and then he starts talking about teaching, what he's trying to say is all teaching is sourced by a spirit. It comes, of course, from the spirit of the man who speaks. But deeper behind that spirit, that spirit is either resting in and is aligned with the Spirit of God and the truth of God, or it's not. And he says here there's only one other option. It's of the Spirit of the Antichrist. It's come from the evil one. Now, that sounds a little dark artish to speak of it that way. We go, how are we going to test the spirits? You know, do we apply to Hogwarts and do they, you know... Take us in so we learn how to defend against the dark arts. No, that's not how we do it. It's not reading the tea leaves. It's not looking at a crystal ball. It's not feeling the emotional temperature in the room or what the ethos is, which is how we often, often engage with this notion of the spirit merely through feeling. Does the spirit bring feelings? You better believe he does. Do other spirits bring feelings? You better believe they do. Do other spirits deceive? Yes. Is it possible to feel something that's not true? You better believe it. How are you going to discern where the spirit comes from? And it's very clear what John says here in this context. He says you're going to have biblical discernment. You've got to know the truth. So I want to look at this passage in just two ways. And I think help us both personally, practically, I think also discern here for the churches at Asia Minor how they had to be listening to itinerant preachers who were coming through, claiming to be from God. How did they know? And here's the two lessons, the two tests. Underneath this testing of the spirits is this. Is the truth getting out 
Meaning, is it coming out of them? And is the truth going in? Is the truth going into them? Those are the two tests he gives. Is the truth coming out when they speak? Is the truth coming in when they listen? Those are the two tests that he tells us we need to pay attention to when we are testing the spirits. Look at verses 2 to 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Here it is. Every spirit that confesses speech that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now, if I was to just give you 30 seconds to do a little Bible study on just those two verses, and I asked you, hey, come up with a key word from verses 2 3, it would take you 10 seconds. You'd read it and go, that word confess pretty important in verses 2 and 3 because it's what you confess or what you don't confess that's important to identify what source of spirit the teaching is actually coming from. The whole thing hinges on confession. Now, confession is an important thing. I think it's important that John uses that word as opposed to some other words. I want you to see that when we say confession, and this is true in the Greek within this text, we are not merely meaning words. We're meaning words that we believe. It's a statement of faith. It's not just words. Confession is words that we believe. It's words that we hold dear. It's words that we cherish. It's words that we want to proclaim and we want others to believe. The spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is in the flesh is from God. The one who truly believes that Jesus Christ is from the God and speaks that Jesus Christ is in the flesh from God, that is the one whom is truly of God, but the one who does not confess, does not really believe, does not say that Jesus Christ is in the flesh is not from God. And the reason that John can say that, the reason that John can say, listen, it's not just words, but it's believing words. It's a heart that's been changed that professes, that confesses the faith. It's because there are plenty of people who will parrot orthodoxy and not really believe it. Right? There are plenty of people, we know this even with our children, don't we? When we raise our children and we're teaching them Bible verses and they're, and, and they're memorizing catechism questions and they can say these beautiful truths and yet we, we can tell in engaging with them those truths haven't really got them yet, haven't captured them. You see, it's not just how many times you get through the right answers that is the key to discipleship. It's when the right answers get through to you. They begin to get through to you. They get into your heart. They begin to change you. That's confession. You see, as you're listening and discerning a preacher and a teacher or someone who's speaking, for a while they may sound okay, but then over a period of time you might see that they don't really believe what it is that they're saying because their life doesn't align with the words in which they are speaking. And we begin to see they may say something out of one side of their mouth, but they're living something of another part of their life. They're not truly confessing Jesus has come in the flesh. Now, why do I believe that both lip and life are core to this idea of confession? Well, if you look at the very next section, we'll talk about it next week, verses 7 to the end of the chapter. He tells us that the next test is not doctrinal, but it's love. The next test is love. Do you love each other? Does the prophet love each other? Does he love the people of God? This is a test. This is a critical test of true confession. And so it's not just words, it's believing words that align with doctrinal truth about who Jesus is. Now, this, what this means is that 
We've got to be a people when we're listening to the Word of God who we are like the Bereans in Acts 17. We are listening as the Bereans did in Acts 17. It says that they eagerly received the Word of God and examined it to see whether everything that Paul was saying was really in the Bible. That's the spirit of what John is calling this church to as he speaks to them in Asia Minor. He says, I want you to sit eagerly and receptively on the Word of God, but I want you to do so in a way that checks it by the Word of God. And if it doesn't check with the Word of God, it needs to be rejected because it doesn't come from God. And he says, I want you, people at Asia Minor, to be people who sit under the word, who listen to broadcasts, who read books discerningly according to the measure and the standard of the word so that you can call out whether something is from God or whether it's from the evil one. Now think of how important this was, is for the church in Asia Minor. What's the context in 1 John? False teaching has come into the ranks at 1 John and it's divided this fellowship and they've seen some who once professed faith in Christ leave the faith and are no longer with them. And John is discerning for them, how do you continue to test when other itinerant preachers come in and claim, here's the test I want to show you. Don't you know they want a surefire way to know whether they can trust a preacher or a teacher of God's word or not because they are dealing with the ravages of a false teacher who said he was a follower of Christ who wind up being a wolf and destroyed the flock of God. Now I think there are two ways that we could fall off the bandwagon and listening to the teaching of God's Word. I think, first of all, and I think it's the issue here that John is teaching, we could be the kind of people who are so naive that we just believe anything. There's a great tendency here. Sort of check your mind at the door of whatever is coming on the radio, whatever it is that's read, whatever it is that's heard. Notice that he says right at the very beginning, do not believe every spirit. There's likely a gullibleness a naivety that was in the listening of these believers in Asia Minor. And he's saying, no, I don't want you just because he says he's from God, he says he's from the Spirit of God, says he's come with the truth of God. I want you to go, oh, great. I don't even have to think. I can just let it wash in me. No, no, no. Approach it like a Berean. Eagerly receive the word of God, but check it with the word of Scripture. Don't become one who naively believes everything that you hear just because someone says they're from God and they've got the truth. But here I think is another extreme is that we could become people who are so suspicious of anyone who comes proclaiming the word of God that we don't believe anything. We see a lot of this in our day as well where we've become hypercritical. We listen, you know, their glasses down low and we're you know, not sure if we believe in, uh, you know, I think he got that one word wrong today. And we're kind of, you know, we're kind of on the witch hunt for heresy everywhere we go. No, that's not the spirit either. It's not the spirit of, I just believe anything. I just tolerate any false belief. Whatever it says it comes in God's name, I'm just going to believe it. Also, I'm not going to believe anything. There's a tendency to fall off one extreme or another. But what you actually see here is a readiness to receive with a discerning ear to filter. A readiness to receive, an openness to know the Word of God with a readiness of ear and heart to filter. And that's the spirit of how it is the Lord really wants us to engage with any teaching that comes from God or claims to be 
of the Spirit of God? Is the truth coming out? Is the truth coming out? But secondly, he says, is the truth getting in? Is the truth getting in? Look at verse 6. We are from God. This is John speaking. Speaking as an apostle, a representative of God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the Spirit of God and the Spirit of error. Notice what John is saying here. He's saying, you know someone is from God when they're willing to listen to the apostolic testimony, to the teaching that was once delivered to the saints. Are they receptive or are they turning up their nose at it? Are they open to the word of God or are they hardened to the word of God? Beware of the preacher who only wants to preach and doesn't want to listen. That's what it's saying. Beware of the prophet who comes and says, I got all kinds of things to say. And as soon as you bring to him a word he needs to hear, he has no receptivity to it. He knows what he, he, knows what he wants to know, what he wants to say. Don't, don't bother him with the truth. It's quite true that those who are true prophets of the Lord, true preachers and teachers of the Lord, are eager to sit under the word as much as they are to proclaim the word. They love to listen to the word. Now, it's quite clear, John doesn't simply mean here, <laughs> doesn't simply mean those who like to hear a good sermon, those who like to read a good book, those who like to listen to a Christian podcast. That's not what he's saying. He's saying those who really hear, who really listen, not just externally. It's the way in which Jesus always uh, put it in the Gospels when he came to a place that was very difficult in his teaching he would teach something and then he would say, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, Jesus wasn't speaking to an earless crowd with a few people with a few ears. He's like, hey, those of you with physical ears, hope you're dialing in. No, of course he wasn't saying that. He was saying there's a hearing that's not hearing. There's a hearing that sits under the word of God all the time and doesn't listen. And wives, it's the way your husband listens. And he's watching football. And you say something to him, and you say something to him again, and you say something to him again. And finally, he goes, what was that you said? Right? That's, that's what we're talking about, a hearing that doesn't hear. But there's a listening that's underneath listening. It's a spiritual listening. It's a listening that comes through the Spirit. This is someone who eagerly and readily receives the word of truth by the power of the Spirit, and it has transformation on their hearts and their lives. Now, why is John saying this? Well, I think John is saying this because there's been question over who it is they should trust. And he's saying you should trust the apostolic witness that comes through Christ. And we are, we've been speaking one message to you from the very beginning about the gospel of Christ. And we've never changed our tune. And these newfangled teachers that come in with the most novice guru ideas about who Christ is and how it is you ought to live are ones that you need to measure and test by the truth. And in many cases, you need to reject them. Because you'll find that they're not taking the truth in, truly spiritually, and they're not giving the truth out. Now, I think one of the things that John is trying to say in this particular context 
If you can think of the false teachers and put yourself in the shoes of the churches at Asia Minor, these teachers came in, they came in with their expertise, they're blowing into town, they're gathering a group, they divided this particular fellowship. One of the great applications for this particular passage is the way to test a true prophet, a way to test a true preacher, teacher of the Word of God, is that when the Word of God corrects His Word, He goes with the Word of God. When the word of God corrects his word, he goes with the word of God. That's a sign of a true prophet. In in reading this, any preacher or teacher is very concerned because what preacher or teacher has not said something or believed something that wasn't right at some point? And I think back, I began teaching in high school. Teaching small groups and teaching youth groups. And I'm just glad there are recordings. I'm really grateful there aren't recordings because I'm pretty sure I said some foolish things. Some things are actually out of accord with the Word of God. It does not, I think, believe in this context, a preacher who ever says anything wrong, a teacher who ever says anything wrong, completely reject them right off. The focus is on the gospel, on the nature and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, on the essentials of the faith. But you've also got to give margin for the fact that the preacher and teacher is not inerrant. Only the word is. His understanding of it will be fallible. He, will, he or she will grow. But when he or she is confronted and addressed with a teaching that is false, their conscience must be bound by the word of God and they're willing to adapt it on the spot. Now, I think a great example of this is is Apollos. In Acts chapter 18, I love, I love this passage in Acts chapter 18. It gives me encouragement. In, in, in this section, Apollos, who's described in Acts 18 as an eloquent man who was competent in the Scriptures, fervent in the Spirit, who taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And then it says this, though he knew only the baptism of John. And, and the phrase is, he was... Fervent in spirit, loved the Lord, preaching the scriptures, but he only knew. <laughs> it's like, bless his heart. He didn't know any better than the baptism of John, and that's all he knew. And so there were things about his knowledge that were, were, were lacking. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila, two faithful believers, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him. They wrote to the disciples, welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those through grace and believed, and he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. See what's happening there? He was brought aside, saying, hey, young Apollos, love so many things that you're saying. There's a couple of things here. As you look through the word of God, here's where it is. You're right. Thank you for... This encourages me all the more to go boldly proclaim the word of God rather than say, you know what, forget that. I've got my well-crafted message. I'm taking it on the road. People like it. That's a man who's preaching himself, not God. To get to the text of scripture, that's a man who's preaching the spirit of the Antichrist and is not of God. You know what this means? It means that we've got to be careful 
what we listen to. We have to be careful what we listen to. Just because something's on the New York Times bestseller list doesn't mean it needs to be publicly consumed for the Christian. In fact, if I could venture most of the time, much of the time, we've got to be careful what we're taking in because what we're taking in is the influence of the spirit of Antichrist or of God, one or the other. I can see over the course of my own life, and this is something even as as parents, you know this, you want this. You want to control your your children's influences, right? You just, just get good things in there. But then what happens? Bad things get in there. Let let me do it this way. Bad things are already in there. They kind of came built in, okay? And so there are going to be things and influences that are going to get in, regardless. You've got to trust the Spirit through the course of the Spirit's work, which is a spirit of discernment, a spirit of truth, that the Spirit of God, if He is at work in them, He's going to show them and guide them through that path. It's not going to be controlling every influence. It's going to be encouraging and filtering and seeking to instruct and then handing them off to the Lord and the power of His Spirit. He's the best parent there is. I can look over the course of my life and see myself kind of get caught up in this little movement and frame of thought and then go, ooh, I don't like that. And kind of come back and go, oh, that's what was wrong there. And oh, I kind of like, that's neat. And oh, that's kind of wrong. Okay, right? Do Do you sense yourself doing that? That's the spirit of discernment. That's the spirit of God. And let me tell you why it's the spirit of God. Look at what he says in verse 5. And really, this is by my conclusion. It's really kind of the last question I want to ask. Is the spirit of truth victorious in your life? That's the question I really want to ask. Because look at verse, actually it's verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, he said the test of the true prophets, there's truths coming out of them, but the test of the true prophets, there's truth coming into them. They're, even, they're willing to be steered and corrected by that truth. But is the truth in you, now he's saying, little children, he's speaking directly, he's not talking about the prophets, he's speaking to the church. God is in you, you know why? Because you overcame them. Because he who in you is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, who's the them <laughs> with the false prophets? The false prophets came into the midst of Asia Minor and some of them left the faith because John tells us they were never of us. And then others heard the teaching and said, something's wrong here. Began to communicate with John, did not give themselves over the teaching and ultimately ousted the false teachers and some left, but many remained. And he says, the fact that you remained is the fact that the Spirit of God is in you because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, here's what I love. He didn't say, because you were so smart, you overcame them. So he said, because you were educated, because you were reformed Presbyterians, because you had dotted every I and crossed every T, because you were an intellect, because you are just smart and doggone it, people like you. He didn't say any of that. He said the Spirit of God is in you because He is greater than them. He gives all of the credit to the work of God. And what it means for us is that the victory of the resurrected Christ 
And the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, is the same spirit that's triumphing over the evil one every day in your heart and in my heart as we walk throughout life and get bombarded with false teaching, get bombarded with false ideas, and there's triumph in not succumbing to it. But in marching forward to the tune of the gospel that is always true and revealed in the word of God. That's powerful. That's powerful. Let the victory of the resurrected spirit who raised Jesus from the dead that dwells within you triumph over evil. And it doesn't mean you have to fight them. It means you don't succumb to them. It means you don't succumb to them. You have overcome. It's my prayer in the days to come that we would be a people who quickly identify false teaching, who eagerly receive the teaching of God's word with a discerning ear, and who rest in the power of the Spirit to overcome all those who are attacking the gospel rather than trying to right every wrong within our own power and strength. Because we know this. The end of the story is the gates of hell will not prevail against him. And if he is in us, they won't prevail against us either. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this gives us confidence. This gives us encouragement. That we too can have the wisdom of testing the spirits. And in testing the spirits rest in you Holy Spirit. Who have overcome the evil one. More and more in our lives. Train us and grow us up in biblical discernment. That we might walk according to your word. Which is a lamp unto our feet. And a light unto our path. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen.